Passion for what I wanted to say uh, overwhelmed my fear. I was more driven by what I wanted to say than worrying about whether I'd say it right, I guess. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Ministers. I'm your host, Kevin McDonald, joined always by Alec Robson. Hey, how are you doing today? Doing well yourself? I'm uh, doing great. Uh, it's it's cold. That cold, cold weather rolled in. and uh, yeah. How cold was it at your house? I think it was uh, it was minus 15 when I left this morning, so a little chilly. Dangerous. Yeah, I was funny. It was funny. I was out uh, shoveling yesterday, and I had icicles all in my... Uh, a beard, and I came inside, and it scared the children. <laughs> but and you're so un, you're uninjured. I'm uninjured, okay, and so okay, it was good. a it was a it was an eventful day yesterday. <laughs> Chasing your children around with high school beard. That's right. <laughs> we are so very happy to introduce Brett Carter. He was baptized January 1970 in Central Church of Christ in Colorado Springs. Mr. Carter entered into ministry in the 80s as a youth minister for the Golden. Brett has been at Miller Street Church of Christ as the pulpit minister for the last eight years. Mr. Carter has a bachelor's from Bear Valley and a master's in New Testament studies from Amridge. Brett has been the director for Camp Koinia for over 30 years. Brett has been to South America for mission work and a campaign to Scotland. Mr. Carter, we are so very happy you're here with us today and so excited to sit down and talk to you. I'm really glad to be here. Let's just hop right in. Okay. How were you brought up? Uh, I, I, as they say, a lot of people say they, they grew up in the church. I appreciate my dad always saying, well, we, we grew up around the church, you know, and, uh, so I, I was a preacher's kid and, uh, grew up in that world and my uncles were preachers and uh, it was always something very familiar to me. Um, it was a big part of our lives and, uh, just has always been, been there. Where'd you grow up at? Uh, I was born in Denver, but then shortly after that, uh, we moved to North Carolina and then to Alabama. Uh, my dad preached in both those places, and then we came back to Colorado when I was about eight or nine. Uh, we moved to Colorado Springs, and I mainly grew up there. What would you say is your fondest memory from your childhood? Um, I have a lot of them. Oh, let's uh, hear a couple then. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Playing music, uh, my my dad was great uh, developing my sister and I with uh, as far as our talents, you know, possible talents with music and things like that. And camp, I have great memories of that. Great memories of my family, Thanksgivings, and I don't know. There's a bunch. Um, what instrument did you play? Or uh, instruments? I can fake all, uh, a few. <laughs> I'm really I'm a really good faker. Yeah. My mom my mom has a master's in music and is uh, an actual musician. She teaches piano and really knows her stuff. My dad uh, played the guitar and stuff, and so they taught me a little bit about those. And did your dad teach you how to fake? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He was, <laughs> he yeah. was, the, he was yeah. the lead faker. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so when were you baptized? Uh, about uh, 1970, and it was so. I guess we weren't in College Springs uh, for very long. My uncle did a series of lessons called the eternal purpose and it's kind of an overview of the bible and and it was kind of um an outreach program an evangelistic program but what we would do the members of the congregation would be going through class uh several classes where they had to do memory work and things like that and just basically get very familiar with um what the bible is about and the message of salvation and i don't know 
uh, from the very beginning, you know, dad was great at, you know, saying, okay, let's memorize this first and things like that. And I ended up taking this class, even though I was, you know, young and I just kind of took to it. And I remember, uh, talking with my dad and we got done and I said, well, why doesn't this apply to me? You know, I, I took the test and everything like this and I'd memorized the verses and I asked him, why doesn't this apply to me? And he said, that's a good question. And so I thought about it some more and I, and I was baptized. How old were you? I was nine. Nine years old. <clears throat> right. And this was in Carl Springs? Yes. So what was the, if you can pinpoint it down, what was what actually convicted you to the realization that it did apply to you? Or I remember um, the the moment when I realized that I was going to die. And um, and I um, dad came in and talked to me and I was worried about it. It kind of hit me, you know. Uh, and and he kind of talked me through it a little bit, and this and then you, I called him back in a, a little bit later. I was still awake, and he said, "Why aren't you asleep?" He said, "I just want you to know I'm not a, afraid to die anymore. I I don't think I just want to make sure everybody gets to heaven." So I was kind of that was a big turning point for me to realize that the dark um, part of of this life, but then to really realize that that it wasn't the end when this part is over, and that was a big turning point. At nine. Yeah, 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 and you know what? That's you crazy. Know, well, no, and I, I fully believe you. It's, just, well, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, but no, you know, and what it was is I had the benefit of an early start uh, being around people who you know, top my my dad and my uncles had a huge impact on me, and and you know, years later, like all of us were like, well, did I know everything about being baptized? And then I realized, yeah, you know, it was it was there. The pieces were there, and and I just feel very grateful. I I was given a, a huge head start because of that. So where did you go from there? Um, junior high, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, uh, we, you know, as far as, um, I guess, well, let me, let me put it this way. Um, I get, I need to talk about my dad a little bit cause it'll kind of tie in with what I'm, I end up have done what I'm doing right now. Um, when I was little, I always thought, Oh, I'll be a preacher. My mom was a teacher and things like that. And, um, I watched over the years as my dad, you know, everybody has preacher stories and there's, there's pluses and minuses, which I'm sure you guys know when we moved to some of these, I heard after the fact, but it made me appreciate, um, what is required of a preacher sometime. But when we first moved to North Carolina, the story goes, we were sitting there eating dinner and I was like maybe five or six, something like that. And, uh, dad was the new preacher and odd situations out there sometimes, uh, this is years ago in the sixties and, the elders said, okay, one of your first jobs is to fire the cleaning lady. Is that your job? And say, uh, okay. So he he called her and said, no, actually, I think he she was in the bill at the building. He said, we're, I'm sorry, we're going to have to, you know, let you go. And she was distraught in tears, just totally torn up. What, you know, what am I going to do? And he said, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, he was kind of put on the spot. So anyway, we get a, we're sitting there eating dinner that night, and he gets a phone call. He says, did you fire my wife? And it's the husband, and he's, like, angry. He says, my name's Ralph Jameson, and I'm, you know, he just kept laying into Dad, and Dad said, if you can't control yourself, I'm going to hang up. He says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my gun and come over there, and then we'll have a, and then he hung up. So Dad uh, hung up, too. He's looking at us sitting there eating our dinner, and he's like, uh, I'm going to call the police. So he called, <laughs> called the sheriff or somebody like that, and he said, and they were kind of like, okay, who threatened you? They weren't really that interested. And then finally he said, yeah, his name is Ralph Jameson. They started laughing and said, Ralph Jameson threatened this guy. And finally they came around and says, oh, yeah, he's in a wheelchair. He has one leg, and he's all bluster and stuff like that. But I tell you that story. <laughs> I, I heard these stories, and there were many others like that. Um that as time went by, I knew 
like he was threatened by the KKK and some other stuff like that. I knew, you know, no matter what you do, no matter what you do as a Christian, there's going to be things like that. But through the years, I, I finally reached a point and said, I'm not sure I want to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> Sounds dangerous. Yeah, exactly. So I, and, and I had other interests. And frankly, I'll go ahead and tell you, I, um, I, I was very shy. I didn't talk too many people. I had like a couple of friends in high school. I, if you had come to, to me in the halls of high school and said, you're going to speak often in front of people, I would have laughed in your face, said, absolutely not. That was not the plan at all. I, uh, first was to be an astronaut and that didn't work out. And then, uh, then I, then I really got interested in science. And my plan was, uh, when I graduated from high school is to go into medicine. In fact, I was pre-med until my junior year. And then there was the semester of darkness where I didn't do very good at all. I found out my, my excuse is that I uh, was interested in other things as well. And you have to be totally dedicated to that. And I, um, uh, and I kind of took a break. Uh, I went to York out of high school and then briefly to Harding. And then I took a break and I came back and dad sat down with me. He said, what do you like to do? I like to read and write. So I started being an English major. So that was, uh, and I thought, okay, so I guess I should tell you this. My dad was a preacher at Pikes Peak. And I'd been working with, at camp and things like that. And I remember years ago at one of the congregations, I was a senior before I you know, got the courage to do a short lesson. And I think my dad helped me with most of it, but I got up and did it and, and sat down. But even when I was at college, my freshman year, my sophomore year, I didn't, uh, the idea of getting up in front of people to speak uh, just did not seem like a good fit for me. But I remember at camp sitting there, I was a counselor and a guy got up to do a lesson. I was one of the counselors, but I didn't get up and say anything, you know, and, and he was talking about something I thought he should he should say this too and maybe you know this might be a good point I thought I bet you I could do this so I eventually started doing it and then at Pikes Peak I I sat down with some of the young people and did a class there and just kind of slowly crept in I thought I kind of like this I kind of like talking to people especially class I really like discussions more than lectures but then all of a sudden I thought I, I think I want to be a teacher and I like English and stuff like that so that was the plan Minister was still not the plan. Um, uh, in order to, uh, so I finished um, my degree in English in Colorado Springs at UCCS, and you have to certify to teach in the public system. And so they, for some reason, the school back then to certify only accepted 50 people at a time, and I kept get, not getting in. Um, and my dad knew somebody from Harding up in, at UCD in Denver. He says, you got any spots up here? And he worked out. Anyway, I ended up student teaching at Overland High School here in Denver, and that's how I ended up in Denver. Then I ended up going to Bear Valley while I was here, uh, the congregation just as a member, and, and I, would, I was teaching one of the Bible classes there. I thought, okay, I'll just teach a Bible class to the young people. And, and Art Clark, I knew him clear back in the old days from Colorado Springs. He was, uh, uh, I think, one of the elders there at the time, and he said, you know, Golden's looking for a part-time youth minister. And I said, um, okay, I guess, sure. <laughs> and I, I I'd never really thought that was where I was going to go. Uh, but I went there, and I was there nine years, and I learned a lot, and, and I really enjoyed it. Made some lifelong friends. In fact, uh, two of the guys that were kids then at Golden were some of the men that I met here at Miller Street when we were sitting down about my position here. I'll pause there. That's pretty much yeah. part of the story. Yeah. What uh – what entails a part-time youth minister? 
Like, uh, what, what is that? <laughs> uh, the amount of money is part of it. <laughs> uh, no, it was, uh, I, I taught every, I taught every class. I teach Sunday morning. I think my responsibilities were I teach the Sunday morning class, Wednesday night class, and then the Wednesday Devo often, and then try to arrange activities for the youth and stuff like that. Try to get more involved. How many kids were there? Um, I think there's maybe a, I don't know, a good dozen at a time, plus friends, depending on the activity, depending on stuff like that. Nice. Did you enjoy that work? I did. Yeah, I learned a lot. You know, there's pluses and minuses for everything. I really um, have a lot of respect for the people uh, that I, I met there that have since grown up, but also the the leadership there. Uh, I, I learned a lot. Uh, there was, yeah, I'll go and tell you, there was a point where, uh, I wasn't sure it was accomplishing anything, you know, and maybe that's something to talk about is anybody in the ministry, you feel like, well, is anything happening? And um, I remember when I, when I uh, because I got the job at Highland, and I sat down with the elders as I was leaving Golden, I, this little preacher story where a couple of guys are fishing, and they see somebody coming down the river. You see somebody coming down the river, and they, uh, is it help? Yeah, it needs help, and is drowning. And so, one of the guys jumps in and saves him. Just as he gets back, here comes another guy down the river, and the second guy jumps in and saves him, and so on. Finally, one of the first guys starts running upstream. He says, where are you going? I need you need me. Uh, I need me. you to help me save these people. He says, I'm going to go find out who's throwing them in. <laughs> That's how I felt. Yeah. That's how I felt as I um, sometimes it felt like I needed to go to the source, I guess, rather than. Uh, but, again, there are pluses and minuses in all regards, but I'm sure everybody who's been concerned for a soul at all has kind of felt that way yeah before we get into teaching at highland i want to kind of unpack your mentorship seems like a lot of that came from your family sure mainly your dad yeah so he was a huge impact huge impact yeah any other mentors outside influences besides your family yeah in fact i'll use that as kind of a springboard one thing i I appreciate about him is he made sure he encouraged me to make it my own. You know, I remember specifically, if you want to think of uh, watershed moments, that um, I remember thinking, what are the odds that I just happen to be born into the right truth, you know? Yeah. Is this just loyalty to family, or am I really, is this for real? And yeah. so I, I didn't, you know, break away or go on walkabout or anything like that, or anything, I, but I really looked I didn't really have any doubts, but I thought, I want to be able to have some solid footing here. Faith, you know, should be something you should be a whale on with a hammer. It shouldn't be something you have to tiptoe around. So I, anybody who had anything to say, any book that any had anything to say, I would really say, let's consider it. But I ended up back where I began. Yeah. Do, do you do you believe what you believe is really real? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, you know, and it's danger for all of us, can do it out of loyalty to family. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when it's not the right truth. And, you know, and dad and I, there were many times, about, I'm not sure I agree with you on that. And we talk it out and stuff like that. But I, I always felt like anybody who reads the Bible, you're speaking the same language. Uh, this is kind of a mean thing to say. And I always, uh, um, I don't know, start with this caveat that it's mean, but sometimes when I'm talking to people about serious issues, I say, well, you know, nothing personal, but do you read your Bible every day? And if they say no, I say, I don't think we can really communicate. Not because I'm any better than you, but we're not even speaking the same language. Your thoughts on this really are not going to have any substance. So, um, but like you say, the, lots of mentors. The uh, my my grandfather was converted by a guy named A.J. Rhodes. He lived next door, and this is a good example of how just such a simple thing. He he knew my grandfather liked to sing, and so they're talking over the fence, invited him to a singing thing, 
And my grandfather was converted, and his three sons and daughter all became Christians. And ever since, it just was a very a solid family thing. But my uncles were a huge impact, my Uncle Jack and my Uncle Dave. My Uncle Jack was really good at encouraging everybody to become a daily Bible reader. And I didn't really become that until I was in my 20s, and that changed everything. Yeah, we, uh, we've heard stories about your Uncle Jack through Mike Byron. Right. Yeah, and he was yeah. very influential for him, so obviously he touched a lot of lives. He sure did, yeah. So now going back to Highland. Okay. So we went through your education, and obviously you're a very educated person. Well. You are. Okay, Don't I've been. Deny it. I've, Don't I've deny attended it. the classes. <laughs> I've attended the classes and uh, graduated. And some, but some of the, yeah, education does not make you wise. Let's no, put it that yeah, way. Was, so I met some people yeah. uh, that had lots of letters after their last name, and not not much uh, wisdom there. But it's, so just because you get educated doesn't make you wise. So, yeah. Yeah, but I appreciate the opportunities I've had uh, to the, mainly the discipline that it provides. I guess you you start teaching at Highland. Yeah. Yeah. How did that go? Uh, great. I, it was not the plan. So I, I was working on my master's for English uh, at UCD, and then B- Mike Byron, uh, he and his family told me there's a school at Northwest. And thought, well, man, that'd be great. I didn't even hope for that to teach at a Christian school. I was I'd been teaching at a school for dropouts for a year and a half downtown, and then t- and then I subbed in the public system for a while. And uh, I may have been in your class. Oh, no, no. I, was that you? <laughs> the one with the knife, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, no, it was, I frankly, I, uh, the kids there, uh, I in, really enjoyed uh, getting to know them. I got along with the kids better than the guy who was the administrator. So uh, that was a good situation uh, otherwise. But uh, so I'd been doing that. And then I, they told me about the school at Highland. And so I went and talked to the principal, Catherine Gramp, and there was no position. I said, if there ever is ever a position, I have a degree in English, I'd love to teach her. And she said, okay, we'll let you know. And I think about six months later, they said, we're going to make it happen. And so I started there part-time. And then I eventually got the, uh, well, everybody there, you know, had several hats. But I, uh, what really was great was when I got to start teaching Bible in as long as, uh, you know, along with English. Nice. Yeah, I remember that. I actually attended Island. Oh, did you really? Was yeah, that that yeah, was you, you too? It's yeah. Like, no, okay. you remember me. I was a problem child. <laughs> Don't even lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, that no was one of the things there. we enjoyed was having chapel every morning. I really did enjoy me that. Too. Yeah, go into that. Kind of get your head on straight right away. Yeah. What year did you start teaching at Highland? I think it was 96. I think it was 35 or so. And how long have you been teaching there? I taught there, I think, 23, 22 years. And it just, the high school side just closed last year. Yeah. Any chance it'll reopen? Uh, not the high school side. I don't think so. The elementary is still kind of going. But, yeah, I think it, uh, you know, I really appreciated the standard of the board and, and everybody in charge that they uh, weren't willing to um, compromise for the sake of numbers. And I think it served its purpose and, and did some good. And, and then it served its purpose and it's done. So we have to talk about one of the hats that you wore there, which was... The play director. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Was that just something you did out of passion, or were you asked to do it? Um, my dad was a drama major at Harding. He did not intend to go into pe- preaching either. Um, and so he and I just loved to write fiction and all that stuff like that. So uh, started at Highland. They did a, a, a standard play. And the next year, it was like, I wonder if we could kind of do our own thing. That'd be fun. And so he said, go for it. And so we did. And we learned a little bit more every year, but that was... 
that was so fun. No, it was definitely a passion, but it was an how, unusual opportunity. How many plays have you written? The big ones or just all of them? Or yeah, just all of them. I don't know, maybe 30, 40, I think, counting all the little ones and stuff. Wow. I know this is hard to do. But what was your favorite? Oh. <laughs> Ask me who my favorite child is. It's the same thing. Well, no, I, I have some. <laughs> hey, what's that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, I have, I, I, have, I have really great memories of all of them. There are just some that, just, uh, that I felt like we bit off more than we could chew, that I was very happy that it turned out, and some really good memories, you know, as far as special effects and things like that. Because I think we kind of... Overdid it. <laughs> it's a wonder. It, but we had a good time. Yeah, I mean, but I remember you uh, being in them and going yeah, real well. I remember being forced to be in them. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of yeah, kind of. Yeah, we had a, mandatory. I, I don't know if you knew about this. We had a pact between the high school boys. So we had several boys that wanted to be in the play. Okay, and then those of us who wanted to have sports, and we didn't have enough to have everything. Right. So we had to say, all right, we need you to sit on the pine play basketball even though you're not going to really play mm-hmm. and then we agreed those that wanted to really play basketball to be in the play nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> stage hands and you know really low rolls <laughs> okay i gotta tell you this it has nothing to do with what talking about and you can edit it later but yeah. now you can hear the story so uh, they were we had a basketball game coming up and uh, the coach couldn't come. I think he was sick or something like that. And in order to have the game, they had to have a coach. I, I'm really good at not playing basketball. I know nothing. <laughs> and But our team was great. And they said, Mr. Carter, all you need to do is just sit there. Just sit there and you know, do, do nothing. And so I went, I went up there, and I'm sitting there, and these guys are like – and all of it, they would they'd blow the whistle or something like that, and they'd all come in and huddle up together. And when the main guy, the, the main – one of the main guy players or whatever would say, okay, we're going to do this. And I'd be like, good idea. Go out there and do that. <laughs> and, and we won. So I have a perfect coaching record. Perfect. You faked yeah, it We've never you lost it. a yeah. game. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's great. So the other thing we need to get into that started a lot earlier than this is camp. And camp is another thing that a lot of us look back on with a lot yeah, of fun. It was a huge influence. Yeah. And you said you went to camp. When did you start going to camp? Uh, it started going right when they started. I was a little, you know, seven or eight year old but you know since my dad and my uncles were there I got to go and um and yeah I was always a camper uh I just hung out with my cousins kept to myself I was not well like a lot of you guys where you step up and start doing stuff I just didn't think it was in me to to do that I, I was very uh reserved uh then you know the next thing was to be a counselor I thought oh this is kind of fun being in charge of kids and even then it was kind of yeah, I remember watching guys even at college in my early 20s saying, oh, that's nice, they can do that, but I don't think I will. But little by little, it became, you know, I, I, had, I think I have some thoughts here. And I was able to finally get up and just talk a little. Mm-hmm. You think, camp, yeah, camp was huge. It's one of your, see, the theme that, you know, being introverted was somewhat of a struggle for you through your life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going back to the music thing again, it was nice. It was, you know, if you get up and you can hide behind a guitar and sing and you just repeating words that are there, you know, that's, that's one thing. So I, I was, I was able to get up in front of people, but it was different being up there, uh, as you guys well know, having to piece your words together. And, uh, as you also know, a lot of patient people, uh, cheering you on, trying to get your thoughts together. And How, yeah. what do you think helped you overcome that, that fear? Uh, I, my passion for what I wanted to say, uh, overwhelm my fear. 
I was more driven by what I wanted to say than worrying about whether I'd say it right, I guess. <laughs> uh, I just, in, in, you know, the daily Bible reading, you know, it's one thing for people to spoon feed you scripture and be like, oh, here's this and here's this. And for me to find something on my own and say, wow, this is, I want to tell people about this. This is amazing. And as an English major, I, I've often said that even if I wasn't a Christian, I would be so incredibly amazed by the Bible. I love the Bible. It's just an incredible book. It's clearly written by one author, and it's just so sophisticated, and I just love talking about it. So there, that works out. So you were a camper, and then you became a counselor. Yeah, I was a counselor. Yeah. And then for a while, we kind of had, had, had head counselors a little bit, so I was kind of in a leadership position there. And then, you know, my... Um, my dad and my uncles, you know, this time when my, by my dad was the one who kept it going for years and years. My uncles would totally agree with that. And, um, and my dad was, and my uncle were also with Rocky Mountain Christian and things like that. And so we, they helped, they provided opportunities. Since I was single for so long, I think I had opportunities, um, to be involved more, like to take on these things a little bit. And so, yeah, it was kind of scary. Okay, you're going to direct this. But he was, my dad was right there to say, okay, kind of uh, mentoring me uh, during the process. So, you know, I learned along the way. And then you became the director at 27, you said? Something like that. Something I don't like remember. Yeah. And, and, and what does that entail? What does it mean to be the director <laughs> of a camp? Yeah. Like, uh, I'm sure it's just... You know, Probably making s'mores and you yeah, know, doing yeah. whatever, not just, really doing anything. Just right, on yeah. Friday, you say, how did it go? <laughs> so, uh, no, I. it might be different for different situations, but I kind of halfway joked that my job is to show up. Well, let me tell you this. My sister is now the reason why Camp Quinity is still here. Uh, she's the one who does all the prepping and things like that. Um, but then um, my job, I halfway joked, is to come in on the first day and yell and lay down the law and draw some lines with respect because I, we've learned over the years, and I really believe this, that you know, young men and young women will step up in most cases if they know exactly where the lines are. I'm not, we don't have to get into this, but I'm not a fan of the word teenager. I think it's a file for excuses. And so we try from the very beginning to say, here's the law. If you, if you want to stay, these are the rules. If not, you're going to be gone. And I've had to send people home. Uh, camp is kind of, I think of it as kind of like life concentrate. And it's a, and I've learned a lot as far as Christians as a whole because like and I think on some of your podcasts you've touched on this that when there's a problem you can't put it off and camp even more so if I've got a problem on Monday I can't say well we'll talk about it on Thursday three days of poison is gonna destroy everything yeah, yeah. so there's been things like that where I've learned along the way but yeah I guess my job is uh, in a weird way which is not necessarily good it's kind of a, like an elder but I'm so grateful that I have other men there who uh, there, I may be the, I guess the, on the, the, the front of it, but yeah, there's many, many times I go to my, my cousins are still involved and, and good, good friends that I rely on their wisdom, but I'm, um, I'm the one who has to put his foot down, I guess. Uh, and so I think my job is to, to protect camp, to make it happen so that everybody can get it done. And so that when uh, Saturday rolls around, that things were accomplished. Yeah, because, I mean, I have fond memories of growing up and going to Camp Quantania. Great. Uh, some great memories there, some great spiritual growth, some, you know, some some fun times just hanging out with, with friends and uh, family members there. My my mom used to talk about how she grew up going to oh, Camp yeah. Quantania. I mean, yeah. it's like it's just like a family tradition uh, to, if you're in Colorado, to go to Camp Quantania. Right, right. And so it's like 
you being that facilitator and that, uh, well, you know, uh, keeping that kind of together. You said your sisters. Uh, well, you know, so many people. So in, many people. In many ways, yes. I have it pretty easy. I just kind of stroll in, and I'm I'm yeah. the probably the most visible. But yeah, I would have. Yeah, I think it would have fizzled a long time ago if it was just up to me. Yeah, but and like you're saying, it's just it's you you have your role to play in there, but it's it's affected so many lives. I'm and, so and, grateful for how uh, it affected me. Yeah, and even my children will probably be going <laughs> to Camp Quantania, and so right. it's kind of a uh, this kind of continuing thing, and it's it has such great impact um, to so many lives, and so that's great. It's a great it's a great uh, ministry that you're involved in there for sure. My kids went last year for the first time. Yeah, and they came back and like everyone knew you. Dad, what did you do growing up? <laughs> well, we have a kind of a most wanted pro portfolio. Yeah. We hand out to the staff and say, "Then yeah, these are Kevin McDonald's. Like, yeah, watch out for these offspring. kids. <laughs> yeah. Interpol and everything. Like, those guys yeah. are, they're crazy. <laughs> so ready for another impossible question? Okay. What's your favorite part about camp? Uh, um, wow. Uh, you know what? Hearing what you just said talking to adults that have such good memories of it and that it mattered so much to them. Awesome. I still, ha I can still remember singing songs it just with such, sure. I mean, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, right? But it I remember just, it was so loud because yeah. everyone was so loud. Yeah. Yep. It didn't matter. And I remember that was like the first time that I actually liked singing. Mm -hmm. yep. Sitting around camp. a campfire with, you know, all your peers yep. and just, Praising God. I mean, it's 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 wow. beautiful. I love uh, the many times just talking to somebody for real, you know, and it, and all the noise is stripped away, and you're having a real conversation about the things that matter, maybe for the first time. Yeah, and it kind of encouraged me later in life when I was in college. I, I actually had a chance to be a counselor at uh, Yellowstone. Oh Bible wow, Camp. beautiful place. Going up there and and just kind of getting in that and just realizing how much that takes because it was the first time I'd ever been a, a counselor just kind of in that role with mm -hmm. the kids and, and all, all of the, you know, pitfalls and the mistakes you can make and, and different things like that and going down that line. And so I learned a lot just from that one experience. And so, but I, I look back at that experience and go, man, that was, that was great. So like, if you're listening to this podcast and you're on the fence of whether or not camp is something that you want to be involved in, let me encourage you be involved in camp. Your, your children will love it. Even if you're an adult, <laughs> yeah, uh, you'll you'll love it, uh, and, yeah. and so it's it's a it's a great experience, and uh, uh, definitely recommend it. <laughs> great. Sure. So we were kind of hopping all over your time. It's all here. it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> so you were the youth part time youth minister at Golden. Uh -huh. As far as your ministry career goes, I mean, at the time you then started teaching at Highland, right? You were doing camp. Where did you go as far as ministry work? I mean, those are ministries, but right. from Golden to where? Uh, from Golden, okay, so I, I um, at one point I was with my Uncle Jack at Castle Rock. Okay. I started going down there. I lived in Denver, but I'd drive down there, and um, they were gracious enough to let me preach there sometimes. So, in fact, he would be gone, kind of a snowbird thing, uh, for a few months. And so while he was gone, I would, I'd be the preacher guy there. And I, I really appreciated that experience and working with the elders there. Um, so, yeah, I did that, and then... Um, uh, yeah. How many years did you do that? I don't remember. I think three or four or five. I don't know. Something like that. -ish. Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. For a while. And, um, then, uh, yeah, I don't think, um, 
I everyone you know where I would attend. I you know, I really enjoyed teaching classes. So I you know attended different congregations, and I'd always enjoy. They would often look for teachers and be like, "Okay, yeah, I can do that." And then sometimes fill in in the pulpit. But it wasn't as full time until I got to Miller Street. Or but that's not even we need to talk about that. I guess it's kind of different. Yeah, let's talk about that. Okay. Um, all right. So even at that point, I was not interested in being a preacher. Uh, but I always thought, I wish I could preach. And so I hope this makes sense. So um, first I got to tell you the timing of uh, me- meeting Sarah, my wife. We have four girls now. Um, I don't think it could have happened, of course, without her. It was uh, God arranged some pretty amazing things in my life, and she's clearly one of the key ones. And we got married shortly after I started working here. So there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, uh, her sister heard that Miller Street might be looking for a, uh, somebody, and thought, well, it's a small congregation. Maybe they'll be agreeable to my thoughts on this. So I sat down across the table from a couple of guys I knew as kids at, at Golden uh, who were down men and, and a few other guys. And one of the first things I said, I'm really interested in, in preaching here. I would love to preach, but I don't want to be a preacher. Um, <laughs> and, you, and maybe you know, uh, there's just so much in a, and, and, and it's probably different for everybody, and I certainly don't want to rain on the parade at all, but uh, there's a lot of stigma that goes with that. Uh, and what I told them is I said, when I, if I go visit somebody, it's not because I'm going to be the preacher. It's not because I'm the preacher, it's because I'm their brother. Uh, I'm, and that doesn't, that's not a reflection on any preacher, but sometimes um, I always, I have, we joke about that we become pastorized. We, you know, it's, uh, we say, okay, I'm just the preacher. Um, but you know, you, you typically ask who, how a congregation is doing. The first question is who preaches there? That, that shouldn't be the first question. The first question would be, who are the elders? Who are the leaders? But it's, it's such an easy stigma to fall into. Beside the point, it was a good fit. I got here and I, I was pretty open about it. I said, I would love to be involved and, and work as a member here and I'll do the preaching, but I don't want to be the preacher. And they said, we get it. And it was a good fit and it has been ever since. And I've really been grateful, um, the atmosphere here, like I'm sure it is in a lot of places where there's a lot of men who step up. Um, and um, it's just been good. So good. How did you meet your wife? Uh, you at camp. At camp? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of an odd situation. I mean, you know, I was single for a long time. I was one of those things where I was kind of like, I had finally reached the point of like, okay, this is probably going to be just me. And it's kind of a strange situation, but we... Uh, I knew she went to camp as a camper, and then she was a counselor. I'm like, okay, she's, you know, cool. She's young. I'm old. She's cool. And that was <laughs> it, you know. Uh, she's solid. I really admired her spirituality. And then just one year, I remember one year, I, was, I used my sister as kind of my uh, eyes and ears, you know. And I said, she's kind of cool, huh? She's like, she's young. I said, okay. So I wrote it out. <laughs> Your and then the like, next, hey. Yeah. Then the next year. She's like, she's really cool too. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's like this. So I, it's, I won't, it's a long story, but basically I talked to Sarah and she's, she's like, um, I'm game if you are kind of thing. And I was like, uh, uh, we should, uh, there's gonna be a lot of fallout over this probably. And I'm glad to tell you there was very little at all. But, um, shortly after that, I went up to talk to her family and, um, and it's been great ever since she, She's amazing. She's a, a very calming person, you know, for anybody going into, uh, if you're a preaching or anything, it's nice to have somebody at home who's the eye in the storm kind of thing. And 
And I'm very grateful God introduced us. How old were you when you met her? Uh, when I met her? No, actually. Or, when, or you, when we talked. When you talked. When we talked. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was, I think, 51, probably. So it was kind of, there were... There were several times it was like, okay, no, this is not a good idea kind of thing, but I didn't feel 51, and I hung out with people who, I, we always joked that she was mature enough and I was immature enough that it was going to work out. <laughs> and uh, and so I just, you know, my mindset was such that I just don't feel that age, but she, anyway, yeah, I was 50-something, 50 51. We got married. I remember one point, here it is, the big reveal, uh, 52 and 25, so switched numbers like that. So huge age difference. Uh, and I'm grateful and happy to tell you that the people who know us didn't even blink. That's great. And uh, I, I never would have predicted. It's been a weird road. Uh, like I say, being single for so long, I had a lot of opportunities, but I'm so glad to be in this part of it. I'm, I was really hoping for it, and God has really blessed me. Nice. Yeah, that's amazing how you can look back at your life and see Oh yeah. His hand. Oh yeah. The entire way. No, no doubt. Yeah. And that's very great. You have four daughters? I do. How old are they? They are six, four, two, and five weeks. Wow. Who's your who's your favorite daughter? No, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> we have a girl named Kevin. She's okay, but no. <laughs> no. no that, is, that is super great. So you've been here at Miller Street for eight years. Yeah, eight years. We uh, It was kind of funny that when I came in and met with the guys here, they said, first question, is Sarah going to be part of this picture? I said, well, man, you're not even hiring me. You're just interested in her being here. <laughs> but no, that it was it was right at that turning point. We'd been dating a little bit. And, and so, you know, rightly so, they wanted to know if she was going to be in the picture. I said, I, I think so. So that was in October, and I proposed three months later. And then we were married that April. Nice. So shortly after I started working here, and then she was here. And, uh, you know, we she and I have had many conversations about, you know, there's preacher kids, preacher wives, and things like that. There's a lot of heavy lifting, uh, unfortunately, sometimes with that. And so we've really tried to promote the idea. We are members here. Yep. Uh, I just happen to do most of the preaching. Yeah, you're... You're Christians. Yeah. And you're just a Christian who happens to talk. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, yep. Yeah. It's like I always refer back to the military because that's what sure. I did. A lot of people say, well, thank you for everything you did. Like, you need to thank everyone behind me that was holding me up. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife was pregnant with our firstborn oh. while I was deployed. I had family that took care of her. I mean, there was so much support that my right. job was really the easy part. Yeah. They had the hard part. Yeah. Supporting no me. doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I, I don't think it would have, I know it wouldn't have turned out as good as it did if I hadn't met Sarah before coming here. It just would have been different in, in significant ways. Mm-hmm. See, I remember talking to you on the phone. You said you have four young men that you rotate in for Sunday evenings. Oh yeah. Probably more than that. But yeah, there's uh, um, the Smith family, Chris and Missy are members here. Uh, they have essentially held this congregation together for years, along with several other members. Uh, but they've been the steadfast presence here for many, many years. Uh, but he's he's often the one who jumps up. And then uh, Brian Wilkie and uh, his son Joe was here for a while and was doing that. My brother-in-law, Hans Olert, goes here. My uh, nephews attend here. Um, 
and there's there's other guys that have have come up and it's just uh there's kind of an atmosphere here which i'm sure is true of many congregations where it's just kind of like okay when are you going to do this you know it's it's going to be your turn eventually but i would like to say this that it's not just about the square foot up there i've really been grateful that everybody gets that as well just because you can you know ramble on for 20 minutes behind that podium doesn't really have as huge of an impact as the steady day-to-day um and i think that's True of all the guys here. I know uh, Randy Gooch. Uh, I've known him for many years. He he steps up often, and I'm sure. See, if you start naming names, you always forget. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyone else? Uh, probably. <laughs> yeah, sure. Probably, yeah. yeah. And Everyone else. Just insert name here later. Okay. Yeah. I'll call you. Well, and I I really talking to you. I had just got done talking to another brother that was saying that big congregations that don't get people to do things, not necessarily just preach or to lead singing. It's like smaller congregations can get those people into that leadership role and then send them out and then bring someone else up that's ready to step up. And it's Mm kind of like that movement of people. You have a mentorship going right now. You're training these young men, men, Mm -hmm. getting them ready. So when they, if life takes them somewhere else, they're ready to lead wherever they go. And then now someone else is coming in. In fact, my niece just married uh, a young man uh, named Caleb and he did his first lesson last Wednesday, very first one. And I know it wasn't comfortable for him or anything, but he did it, and he did a great job. And uh, and that's I love that atmosphere about this. That, yeah. so and it just becomes this uh, kind of a kind of a habit to where if you do go to these other congregations, you just like I need to get involved. Yeah. Because that's just yeah. that's normal. Uh, the, and yeah. and and that encouragement and that mentorship here in smaller congregations. It's very useful uh, for that purpose, uh, for sure, uh, to where it just becomes a, I'm a Christian, and I just so happen to, I teach a class every once in a while, or Do I something. get up there and yeah. lead singing, yeah. or I'm just involved in the community, or, or whatever it is. It's just, that's your natural state, because that's how it is. Uh, you yep. can't get away with just sitting on a just pew. showing up, <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of guys who I know do a lot of the things, the unsung things behind the scenes, you know, and yeah. that's so important. I know that sounds uh, almost... Uh, patronizing kind of thing, but it's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, quietly doing the work that nobody knows you do. Yep. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it doesn't go on at large congregations. I'm just saying it's yeah. easier to fall into that role at a it's, small congregation. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to seek it out as well, much. Well, you can hide. It gets, it gets it put bigger. to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can sometimes hide, you know, and you can hide here too. But. Yeah. So what about... You, Scotland. I'm curious about that one. Uh, it was... I was really grateful. I... Um, my uncle was my uncle Jack was supposed to speak, and it was after I'd been going to Bear Valley, and there was a campaign, and he couldn't go, and he said, "You want to go to Scotland?" I said, "Sure." <laughs> so I was single, and I could had all the time, and I jumped on a plane, went out there with some other Bear Valley guys, and and I got to be the the presenter of the lessons, and then we'd go around and met some good friends there. Where was this at in Scotland? Kilwinning is the house I stayed in, but it was near Edinburgh. Okay. The West Coast, I think. Yep. Okay. But I really like to travel, and I went with my dad a few times to some of his seminars in Germany and things like that. So, Very cool. Nice. So we always uh, try to uh, tie in our mission statement uh, of the podcast, this idea of from 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, uh, where Paul is charging Timothy, you need to find these faithful men who are able to teach others also so we can continue this thing that we call Christianity <laughs> so we can right. keep it going. We always like to ask uh, the people that we're interviewing, what advice would you give us? Uh, how, how do we do that? How do we 
pass the baton, so to speak, or how do we encourage others to step up and and want to be in service of God's kingdom? Uh, what what advice would you give uh, to us? Um, if the first advice is for everybody is read your Bible all the time and develop a passion for it, because if you have the passion for it, you're going to want to talk about it. I love, was it, yeah, Jeremiah says it's like a fire in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. And uh, I, I love that aspect of it, you know, and it won't necessarily mean that you'll, You'll get up, but it'll just come up naturally in conversation. It won't be artificial. So I just just become a daily Bible reader and see where that goes. Uh, and I'd also say don't uh, don't um, measure your success by numbers. Uh, you're going to be planting a lot of seeds. Uh, you, all of us have met people who say, "Oh yeah, I knew this person years ago. It didn't really come to much, but it planted the seed that somebody else watered and and came uh, to fruition later." Yeah. So it's so easy to get discouraged if you don't know, say, well, they, they didn't get baptized. You know, say, no, you're doing the job. You're planting the seeds, you know. Yep. And so your advice also, like, don't be discouraged. Don't and be discouraged. Yeah. It may not be you that sees the fruit of your labor. Yep. And it's, <laughs> you know, and it's been said before, but it's not about you. You know, yep. your job is for the moment you do it and you walk away, you try to walk away clean and make sure uh, it, what needed to be said was said. Uh, yep. Yeah. And just serve God, keep his commandments, yep. and God provides the increase. You know, all these exactly. things that we, we we tell ourselves, and like you're saying, it, it can be very discouraging, especially if you're, you know, in the ministry role to be like, I'm, I'm throwing the seed out there. I'm doing all this all this work with, with camp, with uh, everything that I, I'm doing, and then nothing. Right. And then you're just like, well, can feel that am, way. I, am I in the right Am I doing the yeah. right thing and I'm, I'm in the right place? But it's just maybe like, I'm doing it wrong. Maybe you know, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Maybe I need to change things up. But it's like, just focus, like you're saying, focus on the word, focus on the truth, fill that void with God's word and yeah. let him do what he does because yep. <laughs> he's good at it. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, for I, sure. I have a question. Okay. What advice would you give to young men that are more on the introverted side that are maybe a little afraid to do anything as far as, uh, uh, advice as to, as, as far as how they're going to go, how to try get, how to get or going. That, yeah. Uh, that they're going to step up in front of people. Wouldn't be yeah. my advice there. Uh, yeah. Find something you, you really feel strongly about and then you won't care how scared you are. Don't apologize for being up there. You know, that's more, you know, um, yeah, just find something you're passionate about, and um, it's sometimes it's good to just write it out. Sometimes it's the pressure of trying to make sure your words are linked together is kind of overwhelming. So just write it out. Um, my dad gave me some great advice one time: always know the very first thing you're going to say and the very last thing you're going to say. Otherwise, you'll him and ha and fizzle, you know, and kind of things like that. Kind of like what I'm doing right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's some. Then there's lots of things, you know, uh, little things along the way that. But I I think the bottom line is. Uh, find something you really feel passionate about that you authentically feel strongly about, and then you won't care. You'll just want to say it. You know. Yeah, it's something I found I I was very surprised with. You know, starting to speak in front of people because you know people say it's like one of the the most frightening things in America is yeah. public speaking. It, it's above death. You know, people are so afraid of that. But you just start talking about something that you're passionate about. You'll be surprised on how long you'll you'll, you'll look down and be like I need to stop. Uh, right. I've been talking for way too long, you know. And it's and it's uh, like I like that advice of know what you're going to start with, know what you're going to end with, and the middle may change. It may change 
the day it may change mm-hmm. during as your time. It's like, well, I'm, I'm, that's not the way to say it. I'm going to say it this way instead. And no one in the audience knows no. <laughs> that you're even thinking about that. You're just, you're passionate about it. You're talking about it. You've, you've, you've rehearsed it. You've, you've, you've gone over it. And really you're doing something standing up in some, in front of somebody that 90% of the population is afraid to even attempt. Uh, so just the fact that you're standing up there, you've already passed all those barriers, you know, you've already taken the first step and that's take that step. And then it gets easier. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it gets easier and easier. And then you can have, you can botch it. You can be, make all these mistakes. And I'm sure Kevin can attest to how horrible I am at sometimes getting up in front of talking to people saying, well, you do it then. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were about ready to put me on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Like my mistake. Like, yeah. hey, I'm new at this. Give me a break. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, you have the courage to get up there. You've taken the hardest step already. For sure. And so. you, you are the only one who can put it the way that you'll put it. I mean, your brain is a one of a kind thing and yep. nobody will be able to pull off what you do. Yep. You will say it in such a way that nobody ever thought of some kind of perspective that will just hit somebody that you may not even know, but yep. it'll be a big deal. And we can't, you know, we can't compare ourselves to others, uh, no. you know, because we look at others and go, man, that guy's way more educated, way, mm-hmm. way better talented, more eloquent speaker, whatever it is you want to do the comparison. I'm not him. It's like, no, you're not. Exactly. You're that's you. Great. And exactly. that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I've had the, the conversation with my wife because in Bible class, sometimes I'll say something. I'm like, why do I even say that? Everyone already knows that. And she goes, well, they may not have heard it that way yet. Exactly. And even if they have heard it, it's just reaffirming what we know and then building each other up that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. So don't be afraid to speak up. Exactly. It's been very encouraging to talk to you today. I hope so. You've really been encouragement to me. I think this is a great podcast. I'm a big fan. Awesome. So do you have I, any, I think it's important. Do you have any closing words for us? I, I always, I always joke about that. If I had a microphone hooked up to every speaker in the world for 30 seconds, I know exactly what I'd say. I'd say read your Bible and then sit down. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> so, everything turns on that is to become a daily Bible reader and make it real for yourself. Uh, there's nothing like it. It's food, so that's what I would say more than anything. Yeah, and we were talking about before we turned the mics on how it's a discipline. Yes, yeah. it's, it's not something that you just do it every once in a while and expect to get results from. It is a like you're saying, yeah. it's a daily habit, and it takes discipline. It takes endurance. It takes time but yeah. once you get into that it becomes easier and easier and easier and then all of a sudden it's just a it's a habit yeah you're reading your bible and nothing can be better than exactly. filling your mind with the word of god so and, and don't listen to people who say you know who uh, indicate or compromise the inspiration of it there's a lot of talk unfortunately out there right now that it's kind of sort of inspired and things like that it is his word it's exactly what it says it is if you trust in that you can't go wrong nice and finding that that firm foundation, right? We have the yeah. apologetics, all these different things that you can study that you don't have to have like the, you look up faith on the Google machine and it says, oh, it's, you know, it's believing in something you have no proof of. Right. Which oh, is completely yeah. wrong. No. Yeah. Blind faith, leap of <laughs> faith, yeah. not no. even close. Yeah. This yeah. is rock solid. I have yep. evidence that this is true. Yeah. Yep. Eyewitness accounts. I mean, all these things that we can find in scripture that affirm our belief and then our faith just becomes something that we do. It becomes those actions that we take in our life. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's beautiful. Yep. Yep. Google's wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm older than Google, I know. <laughs> older than Google. That's, yeah. <laughs> Here's a t-shirt. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. 